Hello? Anybody home? Today, I want you to open your mind. I've almost come to the conclusion that the story is so damning that the mass of people can't deal with it. We are in process of developing a whole series of techniques to get people actually to love their servitude. We face a hostile ideology, global in scope, atheistic in character, ruthless in purpose and insidious in method. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence. To change the minds and the attitudes and the beliefs of the people of the world, especially the United States, to bring about one world socialist totalitarian government. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. It has patterned itself after every dictator who has ever planted the ripping imprint of a boot on the pages of history since the beginning of time. Brutes have risen to power, but they lie. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. If you can get people to consent to the state of affairs in which they are living, then you have a much more easily controllable society than you would if you were relying wholly on clubs and firing squads and concentration camps. Tools of conquest do not necessarily come with bombs and explosions and fallout. There are weapons that are simply thoughts, attitudes, prejudices, to be found only in the minds of men. As you connect the dots between different people, organizations, places, religions, history, suddenly the picture starts to form. If you don't connect the dots, it's just a mass of what's all this about. The kingdom of God is within man, not one man, nor a group of men, but in all men, in you, you the people have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Someone born in the United States is not more special than someone born in Mexico. Someone who is white is not more special than someone who is black. They're just vehicles for the consciousness to experience. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. They do not want your children to be educated. They do not want you to think too much. It was learned that the aliens had been and were then manipulating masses of people through secret societies, witchcraft, magic, the occult, and religion. They reach into our children in music, television, books. Prey on children's innocence. How can I disprove lies that are stamped with an official seal? So if you have the opportunity to stand next to one of these machines, it feels like an altar to an alien god. Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a kid that's found his dad's gun. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc is now in the possession of the Army. Too many others know what's happening out there, and no one, no government agency has jurisdiction over the truth. Any state, any entity, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the rights of man, that state is obsolete. A case to be filed under M for Mankind in the Twilight Zone. About time some of you got acquainted with the real hard truth. It's the heart that says, I will not acquiesce. Across the gulf of space, intellects vast and cool and unsympathetic regarded our planet with envious eyes. Each of us, when separated, is always looking for our other half. And the desire and the pursuit of the whole is called love. Heart perception will change everything. Freedom is the privilege to be right. Freedom from the disasters of our mistakes. Broadcasting from the Sonoran Desert, Monday through Thursday, 10 p.m. to midnight Pacific, 
and Fridays beginning at 10.30 p.m. Pacific on Ground Zero Dot Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable, and this is The Secret Teachings. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com or tstradio at protonmail.com. If you missed any of our previous broadcasts, you can listen for free on our website after the show, or search The Secret Teachings on any radio or podcast player or application and listen there. You can subscribe to our ad-free archive on our website with montages, digital books, and a private RSS feed. Discounted right now until the new year begins. Get your end-of-the-year subscription discount, www.thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe or when you just listen to the free archive with the monetized advertisements, you support us and you keep us on air sincerely. Over a decade, five nights a week, Monday through Friday, if it's not for you, we're not here. Tonight on the show, for all of you long, long, long-time listeners, and I think only long-time listeners will be able to answer these questions. I have two questions to propose to you, and whoever answers these two questions will win either a six-month subscription to the show or a one-month subscription to the show. All you have to do is have that email ready, rdgable at yahoo.com, and type in the answer as soon as I ask the, uh, ask the questions, probably in the second segment tonight, in the next segment. I won't make you wait too long. Tonight is Friday, December 30th, 2022. It's really hard to believe, truly and sincerely, that 2022 is over, that the new year begins, the year of the rabbit, in just a couple of hours tomorrow night. It's hard to believe that uh, Christmas is over, even. just seems like things come and go so fast. People say time is speeding up. Maybe that's because I'm a little bit older. I don't know. Not sure why it feels like that. People have different opinions, different theories. But this time that we call New Year's, depending on what part of the world you look at, for example, the Celtic people celebrated their New Year's in November. We collectively now celebrate our New Year's at the the end of December, uh, which is basically the middle of or the beginning of winter. Kind of weird when you think about it. Rather than the springtime or, you know, rather when maybe the winter begins, like in the Celtic New Year. But there's a time uh, that is sacred to, let's say, more so the old world in general, but Scandinavian countries in particular, uh, a time referred to as the raw nights or the smudgy nights. They're called the raw nights because, well, the winter is cold and dark and, well, it's raw, really, really nasty weather. And smudgy nights because since the weather is so bad and, Things are so cold and kind of miserable. Incense is burned or sweet-smelling perfumes are provided so that, well, the gods take favor on us and provide us with light and warmth and all those things. It all relates largely to the sun and to the cycles of nature. But the smudgy nights or the raw nights, they culminate. Uh, They reach their height on New Year's or New Year's Eve uh, at midnight. It's the midpoint of these, uh, these sacred days. Each one of the days is its own little ritual. You burn incense or something like that, kind of like a spring cleaning ceremony is what it is. But you probably know the raw nights as the 12 nights or the 12 days of Christmas. We've actually taken the raw nights, which take place after Christmas, and we place them before Christmas, probably largely for commercial reasons and because we have our 12 
nights or 12 days of Christmas movie marathons and things like that. But initially, they were after the the Christmas Day and Christmas Eve celebrations, kind of like how movie trailers, they're called trailers because they used to come after the movie, but now they come before the movie. That's what smudgy nights have turned into. They're the celebration of the, the well, the coming of winter uh, or the celebration of the coming of spring. I guess you could see it both ways. It's just a time to reflect and a time to cleanse and a time to purify. And now we celebrate that after Christmas and it kind of culminates in New Year's Eve. We celebrate the bringing in of the new year, almost like a co-opting of the celebrating of the coming of the new sun, something like that. But all these things that we do to ward off evil, jack-o'-lanterns, Christmas lights, witch balls, all the holiday and uh, festive decorations that we put up, whether you realize it or not, a lot of it has to do with death. Uh, the death of nature, the death of the sun, and all these things. And of course, the smudging nights, smudging, suffumigation, incenses, we're trying to purify our space. Because as darkness and cold creep in, if there's no light and warmth, well, evil creeps in. And once evil gets into our sacred spaces, we can become possessed, we can suffer dire consequences, we can become harmed. The whole point of the Santa Claus, the contractual obligation to be nice instead of naughty. It's the whole point of trick or treat, the Halloween contract that we sign with prospective candy takers. Recently, Pope Francis used his Christmas speech to warn of another evil, what he called an elegant demon lurking in the shadows of the church. He said that this demon does not make a loud entrance. That's a quote, does not make a loud entrance. But instead, this demon arrives with, quote, flowers in his hand. He's speaking of the administrative body of the church. He's saying that the Roman curia needs to be cautious of temptation. They need to be aware that just because they are part of the administrative body of the Catholic faith does not mean that they are unable to be tempted by evil, they're, that they're protected uh, from evil. In fact, Pope Francis says they're more vulnerable. Now, taken literally, I see this as literally, there are actually some demons which may fit the criteria of being elegant or having elegance. If you read 2 Corinthians 11.14, one of the best examples, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So the Pope's warning is not just to the Roman administrative institutions. It's not just to the Catholic Church itself, but it's also to all of the common average Catholic followers that also need to be aware that just because they're Catholics doesn't mean that they cannot be harmed from evil. They are actually more likely to be harmed from evil. That's the idea. But there are also things that, well, do evil deeds. There are demons. Now, traditionally, the demon, if you've listened to the secret teachings, you know this, like the back of your hand. But the demon is the daemon. It's a divine force, a divine spirit. So it's not necessarily evil. Uh, there are depictions and descriptions of angels as being more demonic. And there are plenty of descriptions and depictions of demons as being more angelic. In fact, demons tend to appear 
elegantly. And angels tend to appear with fire and noise and a lot of, well, a lot of power, showing that they have a lot of power, that they can do a lot of, a lot of damage to uh, all the, the, the evil spirits. So when you think about angels and demons, it's kind of strange that angels are usually described as more monstrous and demons, although certainly they're monstrous, they're, they're, you know, the epitome of malevolence and all these things. But demons also are just, just uh, kind spirits that are doing their duty. Um, a lot of mystics and occultists have written about how demons are really just, uh, they are at the behest of God and the angelic realms. They are doing what they need to do to help purify and like the smudging nights to help cleanse our bodies and our souls as we pass kind of like the Egyptian underworld. We pass through the different uh, compartments on our way to be reunited with source. We call these the planetary bodies, the planetary guardians, planetary spirits that uh, break our soul down and break. We traditionally represent it as a body. Uh, we break the body down as the soul is is removed and it is from the container and it is reunited with source. So the demons actually do cleansing work. And so it's kind of strange how we we now cleanse our homes to ward off demons. But demons traditionally, if you understand them esoterically and not so uh, not so in, in not not so much of a polarizing way, but in an, an esoteric way where we, we consider these things to be more complex than just black and white. Demons are actually purifying and cleansing. And angels are actually doing some, well, some really dirty work. So there are some demons that fit the criteria for elegance. And the, the other day, uh, Clyde called me on the phone. I don't know if uh, everybody here is listening on Ground Zero Radio, but for those of you who don't know Clyde from Ground Zero, Clyde Lewis, he gave me a call the other day and we were talking about the elegant demon. And he said, what, what do you think? What is your interpretation? What, what is your perspective on the elegant demon? And we said it essentially at the same time. Uh, the first thing I thought of was Asmodeus or Asmodeus. And Asmodeus has always been, uh, uh, I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but Asmodeus has always been kind of like a, a demon that's close to my heart. Uh, only because when I lived in uh, Florida, Many, many years ago, I had uh, some ducks. And uh, when I had these ducks, I was looking for a name for the ducks. And I had one duck in particular that hatched before all the others. And he kind of, he saw me as a mom. And I had to name him. And I thought, what, what would be a good esoteric name for a duck? What would be something kind of a cult and something kind of, uh, you know, unique? So I looked up duck mythology, just something silly, duck mythology, and I came across the demon Asmodeus, Asmodeus. And in the, in the myths and in this, in this traditions of Asmodeus, uh, there's actually a story about the Pope and how the Pope has been at, at least on one occasion, perhaps on other occasions, visited by Asmodeus. So I thought, oh, that's interesting. But when he appeared, he appeared as a duck. I thought, oh, that's even more interesting. So I named my duck Asmodeus. Now, the reason that Asmodeus appears to the Pope, whether in the form of a duck or the form of something else, Asmodeus usually has three heads, is because Asmodeus is the demon of lust. And obviously, the Catholic Church 
and I'd say the Catholic Church in particular, uh, with this idea of abstinence and you know the not allowing. I, Francis has changed a lot of this, but not not allowing church officials to marry and things like that. Lust can be a very powerful uh, temptation. So that's probably why Asmodeus went to the Pope in these stories, and uh, whether appearing as a duck or whatever, um, tempted the Pope. So Asmodeus is a demon that's always kind of been close to my heart because I had a, I had a duck named Asmodeus. But Asmodeus, as the demon of lust, although not in every depiction, is considered a very elegant demon, uh, a very smooth, slick kind of a demon. And he's not the only one. There are plenty of demons who are, well, elegant, if we're taking what the Pope said recently to be quite literal. Uh, there is a demon that appears as part peacock. He is a demon who has a relationship with the sun. Peacock is a symbol of the sun. His name is Adramelech, A-D-R-A-M-E-L-E-C-H, Adramelech. And Adramelech, related to the sun, is considered an elegant god, an elegant demon, and he is mentioned as a vanquished and fallen angel. In other words, Adramelech is very similar to Lucifer, and that's what I remember telling Clyde on the phone. I said Asmodeus, but I said I also think of Lucifer. Now, we don't traditionally think of Lucifer as a demon. We think of Lucifer as a fallen angel. In some traditions, Lucifer falls from heaven, falls from God's grace, and then becomes the devil. In other traditions, Lucifer is a totally separate entity. The devil is more of a concept, more of a, a construct. And then Satan, or Shaitan, the adversary, is one entity, and then Lucifer is a separate entity. In, let's call it astronomical terms, and scientific terms, in real-world terms, Lucifer is just Venus. Venus, the morning star, is cast to Earth as the light reflects off of the moon, Jehovah. So the moon god casts the light of Lucifer, the false light before the sun, onto the earth. So that's where we get the story of Lucifer cast to the earth. But there's also the idea of our soul and how our soul has been cast to the earth. We are all Lucifer in this way. And we have been put into these vessels. And the purpose of life is to, well, we have a lot of ideas of what the purpose of life might be. But the purpose of life is to essentially learn and to grow and to reunite or to find some kind of relationship with, and then, to, and then to once again, after you've gone through the process of being purified by the demons, to reunite with Source, to, to reunite with God. So we're all kind of like Lucifer in that way. But Lucifer is elegant. Although Lucifer typically appears as a nude young man, Lucifer is, well, he's serpentine. He's very slick, uh, very, you know, well, very Asmodeus-like, very tempting. So Asmodeus, who traditionally has appeared to the Pope as a duck in one story, which I find really funny because I had a duck, I named him Asmodeus, but the, the Pope has been visited by Asmodeus in the past. Lucifer obviously is, well, one of the, the, the biggest adversaries of the church, and it's Lucifer and Asmodeus which come off as very elegant. Uh, and Lucifer is very much like this other demon 
uh, alongside of Asmodeus, who's very kind of slick and, and very powerful. But this other demon, Abramelech, who is a fallen angel, uh, just like Lucifer. There are some other demons as well who kind of come off as very elegant. There's Alicer, A-L-O-C-E-R, Alicer. He is a duke of hell, and his focus is on astronomy and liberal arts. He tempts people with immortality. Alicer, or Alicer, could be seen as almost like a, a Catholic-like figure, because for those of you who don't like Catholicism and don't like the church and don't like Christianity, you'd probably see, and I can see this too, even though I don't necessarily hate religion. Actually, I don't hate religion at all, but I understand the, the pushback against it. For people that don't like religion, you might see the Catholic Church as doing precisely what Olliser does. He tempts you with immortality. That if you come to the church and you follow the, the, the doctrine of the church and the dogma of the church, you will become immortal. You will be reunited with, with Christ and your loved ones and all the good Christians and everything will be great. So that's what Olliser does, but it's also something that the Pope does. He promises you if you come to the church, you know, you will have immortality through him, this everlasting afterlife. Uh, other demons that could be potentially seen as elegant are Barbatos. Barbatos is, he's more of a demon of the hunt. Uh, and there isn't much else that is associated with Barbatos that I would say is elegant, except the way that he's depicted in the way that he dresses. Other demons that could be perceived as elegant outside of the ones I've mentioned um, at least I get, I get a uh, kind of an elegant uh, feel from Stolas, S-T-O-L-A-S, Stolas, usually appears as a bird, uh, but he also takes the form of a man, and he is a master of plants and stones. So I thought, well, the Pope said this demon appears with flowers in hand, appears without much noise, and uh, I thought Stolas maybe could fit that description. So I'm just reading through a couple of these different demons and their descriptions from the dictionary uh, Infernal. Again, you have Adramalic, you have Oliser, you have Asmodeus, one of my favorite demons if I have to pick one. You also have Barbatos, and then you have Lucifer, and finally Stolos. Those are a few that I thought were kind of elegant, but it's it's Oliser, A-L-O-C-E-R. It's Oliser outside of Lucifer and Asmodeus, that I find to be particularly interesting because, again, he tempts people with acts of immortality. And this is what a lot of, well, probably, I mean, I used to be a Christian, so I'd say a lot of people that used to be Christians and a lot of people that just hate the church, they'd probably say the same thing, that the church tempts you with immortality. And that the, the church itself, uh, that the Pope, this particular Pope, Pope Francis, is kind of like a devil or a demon in disguise. Uh, Clyde said it last night on the show. It's, he said it's kind of, I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said something to the effect of it's kind of ironic because Pope Francis has basically done things that are, well, they, according to a lot of Catholics who don't like Pope Francis that much, they think he's basically doing things that are, well, they're the work of the devil. He's signed on to support really everything from open borders and LGBTQ to abortion and divorce. I mean, just totally the opposite of anything that is 
Christian or anything that is Catholic, which would make the Pope, a lot of people have said this for a very long time, that the Pope is kind of like the false prophet, that the Pope is kind of like this demonic figure masquerading around in the robes of what amounts to a, to a saint, uh, the father of, of, of uh, the Catholic Church. So Francis said that an elegant demon is lurking in the church, comes with flowers in his hand. That is Satan masquerading as an angel of light. In other words, the devil, in all of his forms, appears as a savior and a helper, but also as a false prophet and an antichrist. Satan speaks the scripture. Satan appears in light as a savior, as a helper, but who is ultimately a false prophet and an antichrist, which is what many people accuse Pope Francis in particular of being a false prophet. But these things outside of the Catholic Church should also make us wonder about what we keep close to us, what we allow into our homes, what we allow into our minds, and also our definitions of monsters, because most demons actually grant beneficial things. They grant knowledge. It depends on what you want, what you desire, but demons can actually give you things that are positive and not negative. Some demons are more tricky than others. You don't want to, quote, mess around with demons, but demons are actually not much different than angels. Uh, and the, the depictions of angels are really more so like how we describe demons and the way that demons appear, Lucifer and Asmodeus and others, kind of elegant and suave almost in a way. Uh, they appear more so like we would think angels would appear. So that we have to really understand what, what a monster is and how we define these kinds of things. How do we define a monster? How do we define a demon? How do we define an angel? All these kinds of, all these kinds of words and, and ideas. And we got to be careful what we, what we bring close to us, what we bring into our minds, as I said, what we bring into our homes, how we define these types of things. Because not, nothing is really safe anymore from demonic influence. We've talked recently about how Santa Claus has been turned into a villain. Santa Claus used to be a character that is jolly and giving gifts, and Krampus did the punishing. Now Santa Claus does the punishing. Santa Claus is either a drunk or he's violent or... Santa Claus is, you know, hunting people down and killing them or whatever. So Santa Claus, who's benevolent, has been turned malevolent. And characters like the Grinch or characters like Krampus, who are already malevolent, but in the story of the Grinch learn their lesson, uh, they've been made even more malevolent now. There's no saving grace. The Grinch is just the mean one. He just is on a murder spree in this new movie that came out. Uh, or Krampus, it just is glorifying malevolence. Uh, and now... I read this story, and I'm sure that there have been plenty of stories like this over the years, that even little, tiny, seemingly innocent things like the elf on the shelf are possessed by a spirit. I mean, even the way that most people choose to live their lives, we call that goblin mode, or living prideful of having no pride, consumed by the seven deadly sins. What is a goblin? It's an elf. What is a goblin? It's a gnome. It's a demon. It's a little character from another world, another dimension. We're going to talk about the elegant demon tonight on The Secret Teachings. I hope that you'll stay with us throughout the extent of the broadcast. And I'll be asking those questions coming up in the second segment tonight to give away our six-month subscription and our one-month subscription. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. More after this. Don't go anywhere. 
The Secret Teachings radio show is on Facebook and Twitter. Just search facebook.com forward slash The Secret Teachings to like us and TST underscore underscore radio to tweet with us. If you enjoy The Secret Teachings and want to hold years of Ryan's research in your hands, visit the website and grab a physical and digital copy of Ryan's books. Occult Arcana will introduce you to sacred myths, folklore, magic, and alchemy. The technological elixir will take you from transhumanism and AI to black goo and UFOs. Food philosophy will change your mind about what we call food, germ theory, and geoengineering. And remember, shipping is always included. Some restrictions exist for international. Visit thesecretteachings.info. From Ground Zero to the Secret Teachings. Keep your dial tuned to Ground Zero Radio. If you'd like to hear more of the Secret Teachings, if you missed a show or part of a show, sign up to the ever-expanding archive at thesecretteachings.info. When you subscribe for a month or a year, you get access to the full show archive to every show after it airs. You can download and stream unlimited episodes and share your login with friends or family. With your subscription, you can also get access on the website to all of Ryan's digital books and the ever-growing montage archive. Just visit thesecretteachings.info and click on the Donate Subscribe tab at the top of the page. Use the secure PayPal link and start your membership today. By subscribing, you support The Secret Teachings, Ryan, and yourself. This is one of the best discussions I've been on in a long time. You guys are right on it. Howdy, this is Joe Mars, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings. If anyone can hear this broadcast, I'm still on Earth. This is the frequency of Ground Zero Radio, Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, and The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable. listening to the secret teachings radio show i'm your host ryan gable the last show of 2022 into 2023 this weekend new year's eve and new year's day the height of the smudging or the suffumigation or the raw nights what we know as the 12 nights of the 12 days of christmas they used to take place after christmas now we have them for commercial and advertising reasons before christmas what they are is a series of daily cleansings where we attempt to use incense and perfumes to draw down positive, benevolent forces, sweet-smelling perfumes to draw down goddesses of protection and things like that, and to ward off evil like jack-o'-lanterns and Christmas lights and things like that. Witches' balls, like scarecrows, they scare off evil things. That's what the smudgy nights and the fumigation nights are all about. Cleansing and purifying. Getting rid of evil. You also might know them as spring cleaning. It's a quite literal interpretation of of the cleansing times. Recently, Pope Francis has warned that the church is infested with an evil, a demon lurking in the shadows of the church, a demon that is targeting church officials and perhaps even average everyday Catholics. He referred to this demon as an elegant demon, one that does not make a loud entrance, one that arrives with flowers in his hand. Now he's speaking about the Roman Curia, the administrative institutions of the Holy See, 
And he's saying that these men, more than anybody else in the church, are potentially in harm's way because they are fathers of the church. They are administrators of the church. And so the demons will come after them first. So they need to, more than anybody else, be cautious of temptation. Likewise, as an average everyday Catholic, you need to be cautious of temptation because just because you're a Catholic doesn't mean that you're going to be protected from evil. That's kind of the idea of what Francis is saying. Taken literally, however, you could interpret what he said to relate to actual demons, descriptions of demonic entities. It's really interesting when we talk about demons and angels that angels are often described as being hideous, monstrous, and they come with a lot of fire and a lot of uh, futuristic type paranormal type powers and weaponry given to them by God and they destroy things and blow things up. Demons, on the other hand, usually appear to an operator and provide knowledge and information on everything from plants and stones to uh, being a better orator, a better communicator, things that are you know often uh, ascribed to various gods and goddesses in the Roman pantheon or the Greek pantheon or wherever and whenever. Demons also have these powers and abilities, and demons don't always appear in grotesque forums like we read about angels appearing as. In fact, a lot of demons appear, I would say, as, well, elegant. And I would say elegant not just because of what Pope Francis said, but because of the way that they're depicted. In fact, if you look at the Dictionary Infernal, if you look at Colin de Plancy's version of that, or there are many Dictionary Infernals now, a lot of people have made their own versions of them, uh, you'll see that demons are sometimes symbolized as what would amount to almost like Greek or Roman gods. I mean, for example, if you look at the depictions of Lucifer, probably more than any other character, any other demon, we don't really consider Lucifer a demon, but Lucifer is considered a demon in the demonology. He is a character who we know as the fallen angel, he usually appears as, well, he kind of looks like a Greek statue with this weird baby face type head. So Lucifer comes as almost a beautiful naked being. Uh, totally different than what you would think of when you think of demons. When I think of demons myself, even though I'm, you know, I'm a very amateur demonologist, I think of Belphegor. We talked about Belphegor this year. Clyde Lewis and I did a show on Ground Zero about Belphegor, and then we did a show here on the secret teachings about Belphegor. And Belphegor is worshipped literally through feces. And his followers and adherents, they literally honor him while sitting on the toilet. That they 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 sit on the toilet and they they poop and they give that's what they offer Belphegor. And he looks kind of like a goblin. He kind of looks like, you know very elfish goblin kind of kind of like a gnome or something like that just earthy uh very uh, almost like his face is melting just very uh decrepit and just decaying that's what you think about when you think of demons but not all demons are like that not all demons are like that we've also talked about bale or ball a lot this year we've done those shows on balenciaga 
and for whom the ball tolls in Bollywood. Three really big shows this year. I know you guys like demons, by the way, because those three those three shows we did, Bollywood, Balenciaga, uh, what was the other? So it was Bollywood, Balenciaga. I think that was the name of a, of, a, of a show. And then we did the For Whom the Ball Tolls. Those are literally the three top, at least the last time I checked, the three top shows for this whole year. <laughs> They're all on ball. So I know you guys like demons out there. Uh, we talked a lot about ball this year. Ball appears as a frog, a feline, and a king, legs of a spider. But as his kingly form, when he doesn't have the other two heads, he's kind of elegant in his appearance. And so he's Ball's kind of like a, a mixture of Belphegor and Lucifer, if you will. If Belphegor is worshipped with feces and worshipped on the toilet and his face looks like a goblin or something, and Lucifer is this elegant, being of light who appears as a naked young man who seduces women. The middle ground there is Baal or Baal, which appears as a kind of a combination of all of that. And then you get some demons who, uh, or I should say that, but really who, because they've taken on their own personalities. You get some demons who are more like Olicer, A-L-O-C-E-R, Olicer, not a well-known demon, but Olicer is depicted as a knight on a horse with all the armor, all the, all the classical imagery of a, maybe like a, a, a knight in shining armor. And he does something that a lot of people might accuse the Pope himself of doing and might accuse the Catholic Church of doing. Olicer is a demon, a duke of hell, who commands 36 legions of demons. He appears as a knight on horseback, and he focuses on three things, astronomy, liberal arts, and a temptation to lure people with promises of immortality. Now, this is what some people would say the Catholic Church does, or religion in general does. They lure people to their dogma, with promises of immortality. This is what Olicer does. Olicer is not an evil-looking demon. He's not really, um, if you get a look at his face, he's not really a beautiful demon. He's kind of in the middle, but the way that he's presented as a shining knight on a horse in armor, he's kind of like a, almost like a hero, almost like a savior, almost like a helper. And there are other demons as well that appear similar to Olicer, uh, there are demons that appear with, well, the peacock as they're either part of their image or they appear as a peacock. Uh, Adramalic, for example, appears as a symbol of the sun, a peacock. He is not the most powerful demon, but he does control some demons in hell. He has the tail of a peacock in equal reference to his place as a sun god and to his position as a royal clothier. One of the demonology books I had uh, have says, if the devil does wear Prada, it's Adramelech who picked it out. I think that's interesting because Adramelech, in essence, whether we're talking about Balenciaga, high fashion, or we're talking about the types of things that the Pope and the cardinals and church officials wear, all this 
you know, the long flowing robes and the colors and the gold and the trim and the symbols and all that, the mitre hat and the, or the fish hat and, uh, you know, the, the big piece, the big like crosses and all the things that these people wear. Well, you could say they were picked out by Adramelic. Now, I'm not here tonight to take a big Belphegor all over the Catholic Church. Personally, I'm not a Catholic. Um, never been to a Catholic Mass. I've actually been thinking about going to a Catholic Mass. I would just like to see it. Um, I grew up a Baptist. So I went to a Baptist church. I went to a Baptist school. In some ways, Baptists are much more strict than Catholics. In, in my experience, at least the people I knew, like as Baptists, my school was really, really strict. Um, more so than some of the Catholic uh, people I knew. They were Catholics that even went to my school because they, they wanted to come to a, uh, a, a Baptist school. Maybe it was cheaper because I went to a private school because my mom worked there. But, the, you know, Baptists and Catholics, and there's so many different denominations of Christianity. But the point is, I grew up a Baptist. Um, I knew some Catholics. I've always wanted to go to a Catholic Mass. I'm not a Christian today, but I'm not here to take a big Belphegor crap all over Christianity or all over Catholicism because I see a tremendous amount of value in religion. And I see a tremendous amount of value, and I'm also quite fascinated with the the imagery and the iconography of Catholicism. Um, I love the the censers and the incense, and uh, you know these big beautiful cathedrals, uh, Gothic type cathedrals. I, I love all that stuff. That stuff's beautiful, but it doesn't mean I'm a Catholic. It also doesn't mean I hate Catholics. I'm just saying that some people could interpret Pope Francis. And the way that church officials dress and the way that they act and the dogma of the church, <clears throat> excuse me, they could see these, these uh, church leaders as demonic. They could see them as, well, as Second Corinthians says, Satan himself masquerading as an angel of light. Like Adramelic. He gives... His followers, he gives the devil and other demons these beautiful clothes to wear to misdirect people, kind of like church officials or characters that come like Oliser and they offer immortality. They lead you with immortality. Believe what we believe and you will live forever. A lot of people might think that's exactly what the Catholic Church does. I'm not here to tell you one way or another tonight what I think about it. I'm just simply making that observation. There are some other demons that also might fit the bill of being elegant. We went through those in the first segment tonight. We looked at some of the demons that are, well, they're probably not so probably not so well known. Demons like Leonard. Leonard is a human-like figure with a witch-goat combination head. Uh who has these very elegant clothing that he wears, and he has a staff, probably was given those clothing, uh, those pieces of clothing by Adramelic. And uh, some other characters that you might not know, like Stolas, the owl, who is very elegant in his appearance, or, I mean, hell, no pun intended, even Volok. Volok, the defiler, has a soft and sweet voice, his demeanor is gentle and kind. And he has this, although usually he appears as a dragon with a child riding on his back, 
Oftentimes, Volek simply appears as a child. Now, although children might make a lot of noise, since Volek is a soft and sweet and gentle and kind demon, that could fit the description of a demon that does not make a loud entrance. He comes with flowers in hand. He comes bearing gifts. Children are gifts. He comes as innocence, and he's very elegant and deceptive. I think not only does Asmodeus, the demon of lust, who appeared to the Pope as a duck in history, not only does Asmodeus fit the bill, not only does Lucifer fit the bill, but Volek also fits the bill. In fact, I think Volek fits the bill quite nicely. Volek, or you can pronounce it Valek as well, that's spelled a couple different ways. I think Valek uh, fits the bill as well. So those are just a couple of the demons in some of my demonology books that I wanted to share with you tonight because I think that they might be the literal demons that Pope Francis is alluding to. Uh, Obviously, in the mundane world, he's simply referring to temptation and and, and whatnot of Catholic officials and your average everyday uh, Catholic. But you know what? We have to think about what Pope Francis said, not from a religious or Christian perspective, but something that we all have to be aware of in our own lives. We, We have to be aware of the things that we keep close to us and the things that we bring into our homes. And well, for that matter, how we define what a monster is. A lot of people look at someone like Pope Francis and they see him as the Pope. You don't question the Pope. Others see what Pope Francis has done, basically supporting everything that is anti-human civilization, signing on to the Great Reset, a cashless society, open borders, LGBTQ+, uh, divorce, uh, allowing church officials to marry. Like All of this is destroying the church. Uh, one of the reasons, perhaps, why Leo Zagami, our friend here on The Secret Teachings, says that Pope Francis is potentially the last pope, at least the last pope um, of the church, because what when he's done with the church, there won't be a church left. There, there might be popes after Pope Francis, but he is essentially the last pope who will take the traditions of the church and destroy them. So the church itself, which has not been safe since its inception, the church itself is not safe from demonic influences. The Roman Curia are not safe from demonic influences. You're not safe from demonic influences. And we think of all of these things, it's like when we think of Armageddon or the apocalypse, but I've described to you that Armageddon and the apocalypse, these are things that are not really evil and dystopian. Uh, Apocalypse means unveiling. It's the lifting of the veil during Halloween time, during the fall. And Armageddon, the battle between good and evil, this is the winter solstice, and then eventually light wins, and the sun is born or reborn, and then resurrection, and then springtime, and the white horse, and the cycle repeats again over and over and over again. So those are the four horses of the apocalypse, white, red, black, and pale, which is Chloros. Chloros brings death and hell with him, the horse and the rider death. Chloros is chlorophyll. And when we see the plants and the trees start to turn, turn colors and trees start to die and plants start to die or go dormant for the wintertime, we know that death is coming, winter is coming, and that hell, which is an ice palace, is arriving and will, will soon be here. So apocalypse, Armageddon, four horses of the apocalypse, um, you know, the end days, the final judgment, 
all of those things can be understood as natural cycles. In the same way that when we look at things like demons and angels, we're looking at like that little angel or that little demon on your shoulder. That's what been always been one of my favorite Family Guy bits from the original Family Guy was, uh, I, I can't remember what, what episode it was, but with the devil and the, and the angel, and they're on Peter's shoulder, and he's like, hey, where's the other guy? And he's stuck in traffic. So the devil and the angel on your shoulder. It's basically, you know, the idea of the, of the two monsters or the two, two wolves that live inside of you. One is good, one is evil. And which one wins? Which one ultimately becomes dominant? Whichever one you feed, uh, whichever one you listen to, uh, the devil or the angel, uh, the, the one wolf or the other wolf. So these are things that are inside of us. Uh, this is our conscious, subconscious, and unconscious. And this is ultimately what demons are. When we are lustful, we are possessed by Asmodeus. When we are perhaps prideful and vain, we are perhaps possessed by the demon Adramelic, who provides beautiful clothing and vain things to his followers. When we are, well, when we're really disgusting and when we're really unconcerned with our appearance and we don't really care about anything good and we, we kind of glorify the bad and we're just happy being, well, unhappy and miserable, we are perhaps possessed by the demon Belphegor. I, I think you kind of get the idea here. These demons are expressions of things that that, that we, um, we ourselves have become internally. And these demons are just how we describe those things. So when you can overcome lust, you've overcome the demon Asmodeus. Asmodeus is going to sneak up in the middle of the night and bite you. You've overcome Asmodeus. You're not lustful anymore. That's, that's kind of the idea. So when we think of angels and demons, just like when we think of all the things that we talked about this month of December, uh, about the apocalypse and Armageddon, natural cycles, natural things, Demons and angels are also natural things inside of us. And a lot of it has to do with psychology. But when you mix psychology and natural cycles and all this together, you get popular culture, uh, which is a mixture of all sorts of different things, culture and human society. And you get a mixture of mythology and folklore and tradition, and it creates more versions of those things uh, based on the popular culture interpretations of them. And, when you look at the popular culture, you see that Santa Claus, who's always been this benevolent character, who's he's actually been turned quite malevolent. And all of the malevolent characters, like the Grinch, who ultimately at the end of the day becomes a, a, a at least an, an agreeable character, uh, not anymore. The Grinch now is just the mean one, and he's on a murderous rampage, just like Santa Claus. Uh, Krampus is a, is a character that punishes children at the behest of Santa Claus. But Krampus, just like the devil, you would think would actually, well, he would actually reward children for being, uh, for being bad. You think the devil would actually reward people for disobeying God. So Krampus is kind of like the devil in that way. But, but Santa Claus and Krampus, one and the same thing, two different elements, but now they've been pushed in the direction of absolute malevolence, meaning that our ideas of what is naughty or nice have also been altered. And our version of reality is now an inverted and imbalanced 
uh, perception of the real world where everything is upside down. Uh, what we think is right, it might be right, but it's now considered wrong. And what we think is wrong, it might be wrong, but now we consider those wrong things to be right. Not only right, but we consider them to be things that we should glorify, we should honor, and we should respect. That's basically the whole idea of goblin mode, is to be proud of having no pride, which is kind of an oxymoron, because how can you be prideful of not having pride? Isn't that also pride? Uh, But it's the idea that you are not concerned with the way that you look. You're not concerned with uh, basically the way that other people see you. You're not concerned with, um, with anything. You're consumed by the seven deadly sins, uh, by, those, by those demonic forces, those demonic entities. So nothing is safe from demonic influence. Even something as seemingly innocent as the elf on the shelf. You know the elf on the shelf? The elf on the shelf has been in the news recently. I don't know if you've seen this. And people have claimed this for years. It's all just about getting hits and clicks on the internet. So I'm not going to promote anything in particular here. But people have said that the elf on the shelf is possessed by a spirit and that the elf on the shelf has been known to move by itself. Now, I don't believe that myself, but it it gave me this this idea. Because the elf on the shelf, the elf, well, an elf is the little character that helps Santa Claus. It's the little character that people see when they're on DMT or when they're taking ayahuasca, which in the shaman, shaman culture that has to do with um, all this has to do with the foundations of a lot of, of Christmas traditions, the red and white Amanita fly garrick mushroom and the flying reindeer and the mushrooms under trees as presents or hanging them to dry on trees as ornaments and things like that. So you've got the elves from uh, people who hallucinate taking mushrooms or ayahuasca or whatever. Uh, but then you also have elves that, we, we, you know, we see elves and gnomes and goblins as different things, but they're really the same thing. So you have elves that are, well, more like goblins or demons like Belphegor. Um, and elves also, you know, like in Harry Potter, you have the house elf, right? The house elf. So you have elves that come in a variety of forms, but ultimately they are basically earth characters. Um, and earth characters are notorious. Uh, earth entities are notorious for being tricksters for being shifty and for being maybe not malevolent, but not really good or bad. There's this kind of mischievous. So the idea of the elf on the shelf being possessed by something, I mean, it doesn't have to be a spirit. It's just the idea of an elf and bringing an elf into your home. It's supposed to bring joy to your kids. And it's supposed to be this, this it's a new tradition in the 21st century, but the elf can bring that energy into the home. Certainly. The elf could bring uh, centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries, thousands and thousands and thousands of years of elf, goblin, um, demon, uh, gnome energy, if you will, uh, into your sacred space. And that made me think of a lot of other uh, characters and ideas that we don't think are that harmful that could actually be quite harmful. Like, for example, the the Hello Kitty doll. A lot of people don't think of the Hello Kitty doll as being a a bad thing. It's just this cute little cat. 
But the story of the Hello Kitty is actually quite demonic. The Hello Kitty was made when a mother made a deal with the devil to cure her daughter of cancer. And the mother made the Hello Kitty with the assistance of the devil to trick children and to essentially steal their souls. We see a lot of children's toys that are similar to the Hello Kitty, like the this doll used to be really popular, the Lala Loopsie doll. Or now we see a lot of dolls with these really big, exaggerated eyes, like they've been drugged or something, something to that effect. So when we come back from break, I'm going to talk with you a little bit about, well, dolls. Uh, one of the big subjects we discussed on The Secret Teachings this year, we did a show with Derek Murphy called All Dolled Up back in August about dolls. We'll talk a little bit about that, starting off with the elf on the shelf and concluding with the elegant demon tonight on The Secret Teachings. For those of you who would like to win a six-month subscription or a one-month subscription to the show, now is your opportunity to do that. Get the email open. And for the six-month subscription, the question is, this might be too hard of a question, but if you can name when I first began radio, for those of you who have been listening that long, if you can name what my DJ name was. I did not go by Ryan Gable. I went by DJ something. It's close. I'll give you a hint. It's close to Ryan. DJ something. You'll win a six-month subscription to the show. For a one-month subscription, if you can name the station ID or the call numbers of the first station The Secret Teachings was on, you can win a one-month subscription to the show. Gable at yahoo.com, tstradio at protonmail.com. There's a lot more after this. Don't go anywhere. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. You're listening to The Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food Philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. 
This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with thedavidknightshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. You are listening to The Secret Teachings Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Gable. Thank you so much for tuning in, no matter where or when you are listening around the world. Our final show of 2022 into 2023 And we are giving away a six-month subscription to the show tonight and a one-month subscription to the show. If you have your emails open, first person to email me with the correct answers wins. For the six-month subscription, give me the DJ name that I used when I first began radio and I had to play all those songs along with my commentary. The one-month subscription you can win if you can tell me the station number or the station letters, the call letters, call numbers, Either or will do. And email me those answers. Again, the first two people will win those subscriptions. And that is the second and last time I will mention it on tonight's show. So, best of luck. This weekend is not only New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. It's also the height of the smudging nights. We know them as the 12 nights or the 12 days of Christmas. We watch Christmas movies and eat cookies and get together with family and friends. Now the smudgy nights are the 12 days of Christmas. The smudgy nights used to be the 12 days after Christmas. And the midpoint, roughly, was New Year's Eve or New Year's Day on our modern calendar, that is, when the year shifts and the winter begins to transition, although it is the middle of winter, it begins to transition uh, into the springtime. So the pale horse has total control during the winter solstice, and then begins to lose power after the winter solstice. Although we're in the middle of the darkness, the darkness starts to recede a little bit, and the sun begins to gather its strength again. So we cleanse our sacred spaces. That's why we call these the smudging, or the suffumigation nights. We cleanse our sacred spaces with perfumes and incense and sweet-smelling things to welcome and to attract good spirits, and likewise to ward off evil spirits. The raw nights are the same as the smudging nights. We call them raw because of the darkness, because of the cold, because of the snow, and because of the ice. This is how we cleanse our homes and we cleanse our sacred spaces. But we also do something today that is very similar to the smudging nights, and we do it to our bodies and our minds. It's called a New Year's resolution. We're going to exercise, we're going to eat right, we're going to get healthy, going to get into shape, All those things we tell ourselves every year, those are the classics, diet and exercise, gym memberships, etc. And we do that because we know we've made some bad decisions and we want to do things better. We want to make different decisions. We want to have a better life in the new year, in 2023. It's very ritualistic because it's also just as much a part of the ritual that we don't stick to those resolutions. Most of us don't, for the the most part. But it's the same idea. 
instead of cleansing our homes and our sacred spaces, which we do in contemporary times in spring, we do this with our bodies and our minds. And we kind of trick ourselves a little bit. We know over the last year, the devil on our shoulder has been deceiving us and telling us just one more cookie, if you will. And, you know, you, you don't need to take a walk and exercise and just kind of deceiving and tricking and giving us really bad advice. And the angel on our shoulder has been telling us, no, you, you shouldn't have another one of those cookies and you should maybe take a walk. I'm using that as an example because diet and exercise are like the two big <laughs> resolutions. But the devil and the angel that are always telling us what we should and shouldn't do, what's right and what's wrong, and there's always that fighting. These are not external things, obviously. These are internal things. We, we know what's right and we know what's wrong, generally speaking. It's an internal struggle. It's an internal battle. We know that our body is a temple, right? And inside that temple is the house of the soul or the spirit. And that soul and that spirit broken into different parts of the higher and the lower and the middle self those are the battles between the devil and the angel on the shoulder. And that is our sacred space internally. When we cleanse the outside, that helps us to cleanse the inside and vice versa. If we're only cleansing one or the other, then evil can still get in. Even a perceptually purified and cleansed place, I know this might sound outrageous to say this, but like the Vatican, certainly not a clean place, but it's... It's pristine. It's at least beautiful in a lot of ways. And the way that the people at work in the church, that work in the Vatican, the way that they dress, very elegant, uh, very kind of, you know, old school and cult-like and, you know, secret society-like and, you know, stuff like that. Uh, it's a spot where you probably, especially if you're a Christian, you wouldn't think that there is evil. But it's in the churches, not just the Vatican, it's in the churches where you tend to find a lot of evil because that's ground zero. That's where the battle is taking place. The devil doesn't have any, any need to go into uh, bad places and convince people to do more bad. The devil wants to go to good places and convince people to do bad. Now, Pope Francis, and we'll get to Pope Francis as a pope in just a moment, I'm sure most of you already are thinking what I'm going to say and already thinking what, what I was thinking. Pope Francis used his Christmas speech to warn of an elegant demon lurking in the shadows of the church, one that does not make a loud entrance, but instead arrives with flowers in his hand. Now, taking figuratively, he's basically saying that the Roman Curia need to be aware of temptation. The Roman administrative body needs to be aware of temptation. They need to be aware of um, this false sense of superiority. That just because they're members of the church and that they're powerful members of the church at that, that they could not be tempted, that they could not be led astray because they could. Agree with Pope Francis or not, that's an agreeable point, at least, that he made. Now, for the average Catholic, it also applies because just, just due to the fact that you're Catholic doesn't mean that you're immune from evil. So you also have to be cautious. Same goes for Christians. You need to be cautious as well. Taken literally, however, there are actually a number of demons that do fit the bill to what Pope Francis is describing, even if he's describing it symbolically. There are a couple of demons that come to my mind, three in particular. Number one is Asmodeus. Asmodeus is a beautiful, elegant demon. 
In some depictions, he's depicted as very grotesque, but that's because he's a demon of lust. He's a demon of leading people astray, of breaking the bond between people. So, as a demon of lust who once appeared to the Pope as a duck, an interesting little piece of demonological lore, as a demon of lust, Asmodeus tempts with lust. And he does so with a Luciferian-type elegance. Asmodeus is therefore an elegant demon. Does he make a quiet entrance? Does he come with flowers in his hand? Perhaps, because he appears, although grotesque in most depictions, when he is tempting, he appears as something that he is not. He is a deceiver and a trickster. Now, what do we know as lustful and elegant and deceiving and tricky? We know a character that most of us probably wouldn't think is an actual demon, but demonological texts will tell you otherwise. Lucifer. Lucifer appears, usually with the head of a young man, on the body of what kind of looks like something you'd see in ancient Greece or ancient Rome. Lucifer, we know, is the fallen star or the fallen angel. Now, in demonological terms, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. In biblical terms, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. In scientific terms, Lucifer is Venus, the morning star, and the evening star, the morning light, the false light. And that light is cast by the moon, Jehovah, the God, to earth. So Lucifer cast by God to earth, Venus cast by the moon, the great reflector, to the earth. So there's two different ways to look at that. So Lucifer isn't necessarily a, a physical deity. A lot of Christians might disagree. But Lucifer is usually seen as different or separate than Satan or the devil. Lucifer, the original form, and then the devil or Satan, the new form after Lucifer fell from heaven. So there's a lot, lot of ways to interpret this. But Lucifer is typically seen in depictions as being this suave, elegant, kind of lust-inducing uh, young male character. And he appears not with flowers in his hand, but he appears with the essence of flowers, uh, the kind of beauty to him. And he has a softness about him. The demon does not make a loud entrance. You might think I'm just looking too much into what Pope Francis said. And perhaps you could interpret it that way. I can certainly listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth and I can say, wow, Ryan, you're really taking this to another level. But that's not really the point. I can recognize that. Uh, the, the, the point I'm trying to make here is there are different levels, just like in reverse speech. You listen to Clyde show earlier, a year in reverse. Just like in reverse speech, we can find similar things in statements by the Pope that have different levels to them. He's warning of temptation, but he's also saying that this is a demon. What are the demons of elegance? What are the demons that don't make a loud entrance? What are the demons that come with flowers in their hand, literally or symbolically? And those demons are Asmodeus. Those demons are Lucifer. And those demons, perhaps more than Asmodeus or Lucifer, are Volok. And this is where I think it gets really interesting. Volok appears as a dragon with a young boy riding on his back. In other depictions, if you watch the Conjuring series where Valak, and you can spell it V-O or V-A-L-A-C, or V-O or V-A-L-A-C-K. Valak is the original V-O-L-A-C. Valak 
is known as the defiler. That's what they call him in the conjuring, right? Um, in the, in the nun movie, which is part of the conjuring franchise, Volek appears as a little boy running through the cemetery. Often Volek simply appears as a young boy, maybe in the presence of snakes or serpents, but usually a young boy, very similar to Lucifer. And here's what it says in a demonological dictionary. I've got one right in front of me here. His voice is soft and sweet, and his demeanor is gentle and kind. Volek could be the visual inspiration for the Renaissance. So think about this. A demon who is elegant, Lucifer, Asmodeus, Volek, who does not make a loud entrance, He's kind of quiet, maybe shy, soft, sweet, gentle, and kind, who arrives with flowers in hand. Volek is the inspiration or visual inspiration for Renaissance imagery. Now, these are demons, but a lot of you might be thinking, what about the Pope himself? What about the Catholic Church itself? Doesn't the Catholic Church dress themselves up and tell stories about how you can be saved and if you come to the church, you can become immortal and Jesus is your savior and listen to what the Pope says and all that. And I would agree with you, yes. Outside of Asmodeus, Lucifer, or Valak, the Pope himself might be the elegant demon because the Pope is one, well, maybe in this late night radio world, you wouldn't... uh, you, you, well, you would already suspect that the Pope is probably um, not a, a good guy, but the Pope doesn't really make that loud of an entrance in the sense that you wouldn't expect the Pope quietly is, is there as a, as a potentially guilty party. The way that the Pope dresses and the way that his, his, um, his staff dress, very elegant, and they come with flowers in hand. They, they come bearing gifts kind of a sweet innocence like Valak. There's a demon named Oliser, a demon who also appears as elegant, a king riding on a horse, a knight riding on a horse, and he bargains with immortality. He offers immortality in exchange for souls. Kind of sounds like what the Pope does. In exchange for your soul, you will receive immortality. What other demons could we associate with what the Pope said? How about Adramalic? Adramalic is a demon that provides clothing. Might seem like a silly association, but when you look at the depictions of Adramalic, Adramalic is a sun demon, if you will, because he is a peacock, fully or in part. He is a demon of the sun, a demon of beauty. Underneath, he's not that beautiful, of course. But he provides beautiful clothing, royal clothing. Maybe a miter hat or a meter hat. Maybe the fish hat. Maybe all the robes and the gold and the trimmings of the Pope and the Cardinals and all that. Adramalic or Oliser. They could be described as the demons being talked about by Pope Francis or the singular demon being talked about by Pope Francis. In 2 Corinthians, the book says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
Most of you already know this as well. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Therefore, well, the, the Pope could actually be Satan in disguise. Satan can quote scripture. The Pope can quote scripture. So the point is there's a lot of ways to look at what Pope Francis said. We're talking about a general warning of temptation. We're talking about literal demons, Asmodeus, Lucifer, Volok, and there are plenty of others who are, well, they're kind of elegant in appearance. One of them would be Stolos, who is kind of like an owl uh, creature, but he appears very elegant in his appearance. Uh, others like Barbados, who's a hunting demon, but he appears very elegant. Uh, Leonard is another demon, also appears very elegant. And uh, there are a handful more we could set and go through the whole demonological uh, dictionary and uh, pull all these demons out. But I think you get the point. Or if we're talking about the Pope himself or the church itself, the church has signed on to a lot of things that Catholics disagree with, allowing members of the church to marry. Maybe some people don't disagree with that as much as being okay with divorce, being okay with homosexuality being okay with abortion, being okay with open borders, being okay with LGBTQ, being okay with the World Economic Forum and the Great Reset and a cashless society and all that. Because that's what Pope Francis has signed the church onto. In effect, making Pope Francis, with his elegant appearance, not making a loud entrance, does not make a loud entrance, flowers in his hand. The Pope, as a symbol of the church, is the elegant demon in that way. Again, remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. The devil in all of his forms appears as a savior and as a helper, as a false prophet and as an antichrist. And that should make us wonder about the things that we call good, the things that we call evil, the things that we call monstrous. You look at the Pope and on the surface, oh, the Pope's a good guy. It's the head of the church. Maybe the Pope's not a good guy. Maybe the church isn't a good entity. Maybe the church is bad. Maybe the Pope is bad. Maybe angels, how they're described in the Bible, are kind of like demons. And maybe demons are more like angels. They're usually more beautiful than angels. Or maybe it's all a big trick. Maybe it all has nothing to do with things externally. Maybe it all has to do with things internally. Maybe it has to do with your psyche. Maybe it has to do with the conscious, the subconscious, and the unconscious mind. Maybe it has to do with, well, if you're lustful, that's Asmodeus. If you're, well, let's say you're a very, very vain person, and you're concerned with the way that you look, you're concerned with the way that you're, um, the way that you're presenting yourself, then you're possessed by Aldramalic. If you are consumed by, uh, well, there's so many different demons. If you're consumed by uh, let's say, um, well, I'll use myself as an example. If you're concerned with like learning and knowledge, lots of demons can impart knowledge. Even the elegant demon Olliser. Uh, Olliser imparts knowledge of the liberal arts and sciences, astronomy, etc. But he tempts with immortality. I'm not buying into that temptation. I'm not making a deal with Olliser, but I love knowledge and learning, and demons can provide a lot of that, which is the opposite of what you would think is demonic because you would think that's ignorance and that's chaotic and that's destructive but it's not always that case in the same way angels aren't angels are usually destructive and chaotic they usually destroy things 
So angels and demons are really one and the same in the same way that Santa and Krampus are one and the same and God and the devil are one and the same. And a lot of this is just psychology. A lot of this is all going on. In fact, I think all of it is going on up in our heads. And it's how we react to these ideas and these images uh, that determine uh, the way that we perceive the world. Do we perceive the world as a good place, as a bad place, etc.? Now, there's something else that I wanted to talk about tonight, kind of in regard to how we've taken good characters like a Santa Claus and we've made them really, well, naughty. Uh, Santa Claus is like a murdering psychopath now in pop culture. And Krampus, who always was a kind of a evil character, uh, who's just doing the bidding of Santa, he's been made even more malevolent. And the Grinch, who's always been a character who's bad and then he becomes good there is no good grinch anymore everything is bad now everything is inverted everything is upside down there's no naughty or nice everything is naughty 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 the nice uh people do not get rewarded the naughty people get rewarded so this is this is a a popular culture that is dominated by demons and demonological or diabolical influences and so as a result of that we have to be very careful what we choose to let into our lives what we choose to let into our sacred spaces that we cleanse during the smudging nights, our sacred spaces that are our mind and body that we cleanse during the New Year's resolution. We have to be very, very careful what we allow into not only our sacred spaces, our homes, our bodies, and our minds, but what we allow into that little spot inside of us that we call the soul or the spirit. Because if we don't have a soul or spirit there and it is removed, then there is something else that can possess it. We have to be very careful about what we listen to, what we pay attention to, what we watch, who we follow, where we direct our energy. Because some things are not as they seem. Even the way we choose to live our lives recently, the last year, Oxford Dictionary has recently said most people are living in goblin mode. It's become the the word of the year. Goblin mode is being uh, prideful or being proud of having no pride, consumed by the seven deadly sins, living unkempt, uh, making sure that people know you don't care about societal norms. I mean, this is really just laziness, being a bum, being an activist, something like that. But it has more significance because goblin mode, which is being proud of those things, is Belphegor mode. Uh, Belphegor, who is a demon worshipped by feces, by excrement, by urine, who's worshipped literally on the toilet, he's this grotesque-looking character with a demon-like, goblin-like, elven-like, gnome-like face. And, if it, I mean, not that you need to think of this, but if you think of, like, if you think of number one and number two, if you think of going to the bathroom, these things are very grounding, they're very earthy, which is what, you know, Belphegor is. He's like an earth demon. That's what elves are. That's what goblins are. That's what gnomes are. They're earth demons. And I found this really interesting that the elf on the shelf is in the news again, even this week, that some people are saying their elves on the shelf or their elf on the shelf is coming to life, that it's moving at night, like Toy Story. Now, I don't believe that. I think people are just doing this because this is what people do with too much time and they try to make videos go viral or 
I don't know what people are actually trying to do, but I don't think the elf on the shelf is coming to life. But the idea that we would allow an elf into our home, especially during a sacred time of the year when we're concerned about darkness and evil, is a really telling thing. It's really interesting how over hundreds and over thousands of years we've gone from cleansing our homes from those kinds of spirits to now welcoming those spirits into our homes. It's why we now see Santa Claus as a murdering, violent psychopath and why we glorify Krampus and we glorify the Grinch who has no redeeming qualities in the new pop culture. He's just a mean one. He's just also, well, a murdering psychopath. It's weird how we maintain some of these traditions like we cleanse our bodies and minds with our New Year's resolutions. We might even cleanse our homes. Uh, it's kind of a New Year's resolution. And this is part of the old world tradition of the smudging nights where you'd purify and cleanse you know, the sacred space from evil. And part of the evil that was being cleansed with jack-o'-lanterns or well, what amounts to scarecrows, uh, jack-o'-lanterns, Christmas lights, um, well, even various forms of uh, uh, plants like holly and mistletoe, uh, things like uh, wreaths, which are a symbol of mourning and protection, uh, mourning the death of the sun, protection on the door, the entrance to the home, you know, like putting lamb's blood over the door, salt over the door so the ghosts and the spirits can't get in. Trying to ward off evil, witches' balls that scare witches off, we call them ornaments. So, Instead of doing those things nowadays, though, we've, we've inverted those practices. Now we openly welcome, with no salt, no lamb's blood, no wreath, we openly welcome the elf, the gnome, the goblin, the belphegor into our home. And I'm not saying the elf on the shelf is a, is a bad product. I'm not saying that the elf on the shelf is demonic or that you're, you're getting possessed because you have an elf on the shelf. I'm saying conceptually here, use your imagination, go, come along with this idea that we used to ward off evil. We used to try to push things like, well, elves and demons and goblins and gnomes and earthy characters and creatures, tricksters out of our sacred space. Now we're welcoming them into our sacred space. And not only are they coming into our sacred space, but two other things are happening. We're putting them in prominent positions in our sacred space. We're putting the elf on the fireplace mantle. We're putting the elf on the tree. We're putting the elf in a prominent place. We're sharing pictures of the elf. Again, I'm not saying elves are evil characters, but traditionally speaking, elves, goblins, demons, they're all kind of the same thing. And we used to try to get rid of them. Now we welcome them into our homes. And the second thing that's happening, which is, Pretty obvious, and as I've said twice tonight on the show, and as we've discussed recently, it's having an effect on how we're living our lives when we welcome these energies into our sacred spaces and into our body and mind. We are now living in elf mode, goblin mode, whatever you want to call it. And we are not very happy uh, and very fulfilled with our lives, thinking that it's life itself that's to blame. So we stop taking care of ourselves and stop caring. We give up. We no longer put any effort into what we do. We become consumed by demons like Asmodeus and Lucifer and Valak, and we become consumed with kind of an alternative version of Adramelic, where instead of being concerned with beauty, we're concerned with like decay, possessed by Belphegor. 
It's a really weird, strange thing. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. More after this. Don't go anywhere. Stay with us because when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about how the elf on the shelf is kind of like uh, the Hello Kitty doll. You don't know about the Hello Kitty story and how when we welcome these things into our home and we don't understand what those things represent, even if it's just all fun and games, we could be welcoming something quite dark into our sacred spaces. More after this. Don't go anywhere. Listening to the Secret Teachings. For more information on the show or to contact Ryan, visit thesecretteachings.info or email Ryan at rdgable at yahoo.com. Hey, this is John Peasy at johnpeasy.com, and I'm here with Ryan Gable from The Secret Teachings. If you're looking for a great gift that keeps on giving this year, check out one of my four books for the holiday season. Occult Arcana is a monumental collection of esoteric and occult lore. The technological elixir looks at UFOs, demonology in the music industry, and the soul and spirit in relation to modern technology. Liberty Shrugged, my new book, takes you on a historical journey through the concepts of natural liberty and provides a different angle on the American Revolution. Food philosophy explores food industry propaganda, advertising tricks, and geoengineering. Get all four books only at thesecretteachings.info in softcover or digital. That's thesecretteachings.info. You could listen to this. And again, you know, people say David has no evidence. David has no evidence. I hate this channel. Or you could listen to The Secret Teachings with myself, Ryan Gable, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. Join us to explore the outer limits of history, symbolism, parapolitics, and more. We'll explore a little bit of everything, but don't take my word for it. I'm kind of like you. I'm the last of a dying breed, a generalist. That's The Secret Teachings, five nights a week on Ground Zero Radio. This is Kev Baker of The Kev Baker Show, and you're listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Thanks, Ryan. This is David Knight with thedavidknightshow.com, and you're listening to The Secret Teaching. Broadcasting from somewhere between the normal and abnormal. A collection of question marks. No reason, no explanation. Just a prolonged nightmare in which fear, loneliness, and the unexplainable walk hand in hand through the shadows. It's The Secret Teachings on Ground Zero Radio. So the Pope has warned that an elegant demon is lurking in the shadows of the church, one that does not make a loud entrance, but instead arrives with flowers in hand. This could be interpreted in a number of different ways. There are plenty of elegant demons in demonological texts and in demonological lore. For example, demons like Barbatos and Leonard and Stolos, demons like Aldramalic or Oliser or Asmodeus. Even Lucifer is an elegant tempter and a trickster. Another demon, Valik, a defiler, comes with a soft, sweet, gentle, kind voice and demeanor, usually arriving as a child, not to be expected of doing any harm. This actually seems to, I think, define what Pope Francis describes as the elegant demon. I think Valik really fits the bill. But we're not looking for a demon to fit into that category. We're not looking for a demon to say that's what Pope Francis meant. 
because we're simply taking what Pope Francis said. We're looking at on the surface, he's talking about temptation in the church. Underneath of that, we're looking at literal demons. And then underneath of that, we're looking at how Pope Francis himself sort of is the demon or possessed by those demons, such as Aldra Malik, who is an elegant royal clother. Look at how the members of the church dress. They are certainly dressed by Aldra Malik. Demons like Alasur perhaps also possess the Pope and members of the powerful Catholic Church. Alasur is an elegant knight on a horse, and he tempts with immortality, something the church offers to you as they are the intermediary between God and man. Asmodeus is also perhaps another demon that lurks in the halls of the Catholic Church, particularly because he is a demon of lust, and although lust might not be considered much of a, of a big issue today with more liberal-minded crowds, there are some forms of lust that are, generally speaking, still looked down upon. Like, for example, if you are a Catholic priest and you lust after a child, probably not a good idea. And in fact, the Associated Press even referenced the fact that there are plenty of members of the Catholic Church that are, well, they're under investigation, they've been put on leave, or they're being tried for some of these crimes or supposed crimes against children. And perhaps this is what the Pope is referring to, although I would imagine that Pope Francis is, Pope Francis is just as intimately involved with those kinds of abuses. That, that's what I would, I'm, I'm thinking. I can't imagine the Pope is not involved with those kinds of things. The Associated Press said traditional Catholics have denounced Francis's emphasis on mercy and openness to doctrinal wiggle room on issues such as sacraments for divorced and civilly remarried Catholics. Some have even gone so far as to accuse him of heresy for some of his gestures in preaching, including allowing pagan statues in the Vatican. Although if you really want to get technical, I can agree with traditional Catholics, but they're also wrong about you know the, the idea of pagan statues in the Vatican. The, the whole faith of Catholicism is pagan in, in its, its essence, its core. So I get the idea, but I, I think it's poor, poor execution in terms of the criticism. However, the idea is also that the Pope is, uh, is the demon. He is the elegant demon. He is a false prophet. He is an antichrist or something to that effect. And it makes you think that if the Catholic Church and all churches and what they represent, which is this religious morality, the spiritual morality, this, this uh, divine connection to God, this intermediary between God and man, if there is evil there, then where does the evil stop? It means nothing is safe. Obviously, the church is corrupt. Obviously. I'll say that over and over. Obviously, you, you all know the church is corrupt. You all know that not just Pope Francis, but other popes have been involved in very unsavory things. You know that members of the church, high-level, powerful people, have done terrible things to innocent people, particularly children, young adults. That's not a new thing to say here on The Secret Teachings, but what I'm talking about is the idea of the church. I'm talking about the idea of a sacred space. Not a safe place, but a sacred space. Where there shouldn't be that kind of evil. 
But the irony is, it's in those sacred places where evil is going to come. Evil is going to lurk. Evil has no need to go to a graveyard and lurk because everything's dead. Evil has no reason to go to, I'm saying in the way that we interpret evil, evil has no reason to go to a place where things are already really bad and make them worse. That place where things are really bad is going to conjure new demons anyway. The devil's going to go to places that are sacred. The devil's going to go to places that are holy. And he's going to try to make them non-sacred, non-holy. He's going to try to reverse the course of what is happening there. So, in essence, the devil is always lurking in the shadows and always tempting good people. Jesus was tempted by the devil. Remember? Jesus was tempted that he could have all the, all the kingdoms of the world, but it's his kingdom, so why would he take the deal? It's the same thing with all of us. This is our world. We, we make the suffering. We make the joy. And why would we make a deal with the devil for something that's already ours? It's the same kind of an idea. Now, tonight we've been talking about the smudging nights quite a bit. The smudging nights are 12 days after Christmas, usually from the day after Christmas until the Feast of Epiphany, where smudging and suffumigation would be every, every night would be carried out to purify sacred spaces, your home, etc., business, etc. In the middle of that is our New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And that's the midpoint of the smudgy nights. We now take the smudgy nights on the, um, on the calendar to be the 12 days before Christmas. They used to be the 12 days after Christmas. And the smudgy nights, the midpoint on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, we still carry out a similar tradition when we take those smudgy night traditions and we turn them into New Year's resolutions. We're going to do better this next year. We're going to exercise, get in shape, eat healthy. We're going to take care of our bodies and our minds because those are sacred, just like our homes and our businesses and our property and things like that. So all throughout human history, whether it's spring cleaning or it's the winter solstice or whatever, we're always throughout history trying to do things that will welcome good and will push evil away. We're always trying to find images and icons and symbols that will ward off evil, like the Hamsa, to ward off the evil eye. We're looking for things, they call it the Hand of Fatima. We're looking for things that will uh, keep evil at bay, like a cross, or things that will uh, destroy the, the, the evil and bring life and, and happiness and joy, like the Ankh. Uh, things that resonate harmoni harmoniously with the universe. And when we've done this throughout history, we've done it with salt, we've done it with crosses, we've done it with all sorts of symbols and traditions and rituals and sayings and prayers and conjurings and all that. In contemporary times, although we still hold on to some element of the ancient world, which is what, a, that's how you define superstition. It is really interesting. Superstition is defined as remnants or parts of the old uh, world or old belief systems. And if we don't understand them, then they're superstitions. When we do understand them, they're no longer superstitions. They're just traditions. So we carry on a lot of things today because we are superstitious, whether we consider ourselves superstitious or not. We don't know why we do those things. And as we transition 
more and more into a, a society dominated by a scientific and technocratic elite, because I feel globally that's what is happening, that's where we are going. We move further away from introspection and the, uh, the adherence to prayer and the adherence to family and culture and community, and we move into this collective of computers and technology and using those to drive our every decision, algorithms, etc., uh, looking at medicine to save us from everything, genetically engineered foods and gen- uh, ge- geoengineered environments. That's what we talked about last night, right? People that used to be anti-GMO, anti-chemical, and anti-war are now pro-GMO because of climate change. They are pro-chemical because of COVID, and they are pro-war because of Ukraine. It's an inversion. We've seen a lot of things inverted in our culture. In fact, our culture has been decimated. It's been reduced by 10 over and over and over again. It's been uh, just obliterated like Sodom and Gomorrah, except culture is a good thing. Sodom and Gomorrah was a place of gambling and prostitution that was rightfully destroyed by the Lord, if you believe in the Christian faith. I understand the concept of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's almost like our culture has been treated like Sodom and Gomorrah in a way. And that's the whole thing I've been talking about this month is that we have this inversion. So anything good is actually bad. Anything bad is actually good. The naughty are nice and the nice are naughty. The good things of our culture have been destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah. And the bad things of our culture, or I should say the things of Sodom and Gomorrah, the prostitution, gambling, all that, have become virtuous things that we are proud of. That's, I would say, part of goblin mode. Things that are societally unacceptable, morally unacceptable, visually unacceptable, and being proud of those things, and giving sacrament and pouring out libations. That's what, what it is, a urine libation to Belphegor, fecal libation to Belphegor into the earth. In, us, in essence, in other words, it feels like pop culture and regular culture have been infiltrated by the same kind of elegant demon that the Pope is talking about. And this is a demon who is very earthy, very goblin-like, very gnome-like, very elven. Now, elves and gnomes and goblins are not always evil characters. Gargoyles are not always evil characters. Gargoyles are guardians and protectors of sacred places, for example. Elves are helpers. Uh, But elves can also be manipulators and deceivers, tricksters, like fairies. Fairies can be magical and helpful, but fairies can also be really grotesque looking like angels and really evil and kind of demonic and wanting to hurt you. We obviously have Disney to thank for a lot of the the ways that we see these these ideas. Uh, We see these concepts, Uh, Disney and, you know, just cartoons in general that take care like Tinkerbell. Like, but a classical Tinkerbell-like character would actually not really look like Tinkerbell. It's just a kid's version of it. And instead of getting rid of the evil, instead of trying to push the evil away, what we're doing now is welcoming it with the goblin mode and the inversion of our culture and the, the way that pop culture has trended. We're welcoming all these things into our homes, our sacred spaces. We're not cleaning them, literally or symbolically. And we're welcoming these things into our body and into our mind. 
goblin mode is an example of how our body and mind have already been taken over by these things. Goblins, Belphegor, Bel, Bale, etc. And the goblin, as I said, is also the gnome or the elf, which is really interesting because recently I saw a story about how people still believe their elf on the shelf is haunted or that it comes to life at night, like Toy Story. Personally, I don't believe that, but it's an interesting idea because it plays out and plays along with what we've been discussing. It's the elf that you're welcoming into your home. And not only that, but you're giving it a prominent place in the home where the whole family can look at it and take pictures of it and share it on social media. And it's was the elf on the shelf has been around for what was it? 17, 18 years. It was like 2005. Um, but there's a lot of energy in what an elf throughout history has been defined as and described as. And so the elf on the shelf might be a harmless character, a harmless little toy But depending on how you approach it and depending on how you choose to live your life, the energy of that elf can be drawn out and the elf on the shelf can be a lot naughtier than nice. Uh, And the elf energy, if you will, the gnome energy, the goblin energy, the gargoyle energy, it's the energy of the earth. It's the energy of feces and urine. It's the energy of, of embarrassment. It's the energy of grotesqueness and decay. It's the energy of, of demeaning and, and destruction and chaos. All the things that not only have we been talking about throughout 2022 and other years on The Secret Teachings and that we will continue to talk about into 2023 through this occult lens that we use on the show, but all the things that seem to be happening culturally and in popular culture. I give the example again. Santa Claus is now a violent psychopath in a lot of movies and TV shows. And the saving qualities, the saving graces of even the Grinch, where at the end his heart grows and he's kind of a neutral character in a way at the end, almost even good, no longer is the case. Now the Grinch is also a murdering psychopath. We are turning everything dark, everything into, well, what amount to playful um, playful images. We're taking archetypes and we're turning them into just playful things to to mess around with. I mean, when you look at look at Hollywood as a great example, and you look at the music industry, uh, performers in the music industry aren't just fake. I mean, they are literally just makeup and surgery, as if they've been turned into soulless dolls, unable to move unless they are moving at the behest of their handler's will. Uh, the famous are notoriously miserable because they're being used as marionettes, and this is starting to happen to the people that dance to the music produced by these marionettes. The general public are becoming like inanimate dolls, unable to speak or move without artificial influence. And what that is, is the replacement of the soul and the spirit, or the corruption of the soul and the spirit, either to replace it or to corrupt it with something else, something that is akin to a parasite that feeds off of your energy, your soul, your spirit, your DNA, your body, your life, etc. Our sacred spaces, our homes, our bodies, our minds, were once places where we would clean and purify from that evil. Now we welcome that evil into our homes. Call it an elf, call it a goblin, call it a gargoyle, belphegor, a demon, whatever. 
There's nothing harmful about having an elf on the shelf in your house. But the elf as a character, as a symbol, has always been something that you don't want to mess with. You don't want to mess with an elf. You don't want to mess with a gnome. You don't want to let these things in your home. But now we do that all the time. We do that with other things we don't think much about. Think about the Hello Kitty. You ever seen a Hello Kitty doll? Looks totally harmless. It's a cute little thing little girls play with. Stuffed animals, pillows, t-shirts. Very popular. It's been popular for a very long time. There's an urban legend about the Hello Kitty, though. Kind of like the developing legend of the elf on the shelf that it moves and it's possessed. It's a lot darker than the elf, though. The Hello Kitty is a character that was said to have been created between a mother who was trying to save her daughter and the devil who wanted to use the mother and her desperation to harm and corrupt other children. The mom was trying to cure her daughter of throat cancer by going to every doctor and specialist she could find. Nobody could help. So she prayed to the devil who cured her daughter's throat cancer. And in return, the mother offered her services to the devil in a Faustian bargain. And the devil wanted to use the mother to use the sacred feminine, if you will, the mother's desire and love to cure her child, to help her child, to protect her child. The devil wanted to use that to negatively influence other children. So the devil and this woman came up with the Hello Kitty a relatively harmless-looking little character. When you pay closer attention, though, the Hello Kitty has no ear cavities. The Hello Kitty has no pupils, just black dots, usually indicative of possession. White pupils, or totally white eyes, I should say, means that you are an empty vessel, like the Billie Eilish album. If it's black, it's possession of something, uh, by something else, I should say. And a mouth that is just a line or stitches, basically sewn shut. So see no evil, speak no evil, and hear no evil. You might think that's just a stupid legend. That's a stupid story. Yes, it is a stupid story. But the Hello Kitty has, whether or not it was created as a harmless little toy or it was created between, as part of a deal between a mother and uh, trying to save her daughter and the devil... There are things in popular culture that have taken the Hello Kitty and turned it into a, a kind of deity. I've talked about this musician on YouTube, pretty famous and popular in her own right, pretty successful. Her name's Jasmine Bean, and I'd caution you to go look up any of her music. It's kind of disturbing. And in her music, she literally deifies the Hello Kitty. And one of her songs, the Hello Kitty, is she, she makes it into... Uh, the image of Christ on the cross, but stretched into this long, pale-like character, uncharacteristic of the Hello Kitty. So it's like a pale man or a rake crucified to a cross. So there's a lot of imagery, a lot of meaning there uh, behind that. And that's what we see in popular culture with Santa Claus. Santa Claus is now this violent, murdering psychopath. Uh, The Hello Kitty, the elf on the shelf. um, I mean, these are like maybe... Things that have, we, we've been influenced through movies like Chucky or, or Annabelle, right? Where the dolls come to life and kill people or they're possessed. And why that's, that idea is so creepy and scary is because, well, you know, children's dolls and children's toys are supposed to be things to keep 
children happy and to keep them company and to prevent them from getting scared. If they're coming to life and they're possessed, well, that's unnatural. That's abnormal in the same way that children in movies can be scary because children aren't supposed to be uh, they're not supposed to be psychos they're not supposed to murder people they're not supposed to harm people they're innocent they're kids so children that are evil or dolls that come to life this messes with us uh kind of like that movie smile you know people that like george bush used to smile when he talked about terrorism and war uh, like normal people who are who are functioning within a, a normal sense of right and wrong, understand that you don't smile when you're talking about war. You don't laugh about things like that. Something's disconnected. When somebody smiles while they're murdering you, like it's a clown or something, that messes with our brain. We don't understand what's happening. It's like when a, when a man with a, with a beard and a big beer gut puts on a dress and tells kids that he's a woman. That messes with the brain. That screws things up. We see that happen with everything from gender, social, and racial issues to the, to the point where, you know, if you're, th- this isn't the intention of tonight's show, but as an example, you know, if you're a black conservative, you're still a white supremacist racist. If you're a white liberal, then you're not a racist and you're, you're basically a victim of white racism from black conservatives. It's totally, con- it doesn't make any sense. It's contrary to, to everything. It makes no sense. It's confusing. Men dress like women, women dress like men, people that are proud of having no pride, taking things like an innocent toy and turning it into something demonic or diabolic, elves coming to life, hello kitties with no ears, no mouth and no eyes, blindfolded, gagged and having their ears covered, symbols of trauma, mind control, torture, abuse or SRA, satanic ritual abuse. These are the kinds of things that come to us through our music, through our movies, through our TV shows. I mean, even things like the artificially intelligent algorithms that generate images, artwork, and things like that. We've talked all throughout this year about crungus, crud and fungus. It's a mixture of those two words. The fingernail, crud and fungus under the fingernail. That's how demons used to get into the body. Dirty hands, dirty fingernails. That's why witches have those black fingers, as I've told you. Krungus was a creature conjured at 3 a.m. by a computer algorithm. Another character, Loab, L-O-A-B, this distorted, grotesque-looking woman. Her name means, if you translate it, it means container of lies or father of lies. Big shout out to Mike from Ground Zero for pointing that out to us. The container of lies is a container of perversion, a container of all these distorted, grotesque things. That's Loab. So it's in music, movies, TV shows, artificial intelligence. It's everywhere. It's even in sports. You don't think much about these kinds of things when you think of sports, but you know, look at Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers. You know, Aaron Rodgers went to Peru, took ayahuasca. And he says that even this year, back in August, he gave an interview. Uh, Essentially, Sports put up the article. Aaron Rodgers still says he's haunted by the hat man. Now, I've not heard a lot of people say they've seen the hat man after ayahuasca. They've usually seen elves or something like that. But he said, this is a quote from Aaron Rodgers, he will sometimes appear in the distance, usually veiled by darkness, holding the corpses of a dead rabbit and sometimes a blade. 
Aaron Rodgers says he's sincerely scared of this thing, uh, that it haunts him, that it, even when he's in the locker room alone. You know, Aaron Rodgers has been made fun of a lot because he was kind of against the COVID-19 vaccine. He was, he was very, he was very, very mysterious about his views on that, but he was against the COVID-19 vaccine, kind of like with Tom Brady too. Tom Brady reportedly had a Trump hat in his locker. Remember that? And everybody got upset about it as if he can't decide who he supports politically because he's a football player. But the point is you look in professional sports where you normally don't see these kinds of things. And here's the quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And he's being haunted by the hat man. It's every single aspect of our culture, everything that we see interact with touch, smell, etc. Music, movies, TV show, AI, computers, children's toys, Christmas decorations, and even sports. It's all infected. It's infested with this putrefying, decaying, elegant demon. I'm Ryan Gable. This is The Secret Teachings. Thank you so much for tuning into the broadcast tonight, our last of the year. If you'd like to contact the show, rdgable at yahoo.com, tstradio at protonmail.com. I'd like to take these last few minutes to tell you that I, from the bottom of my heart, sincerely, hand to God, hand on the Bible, hand on any sacred text you like, hand on any God, Osiris, you name it. I sincerely love every single one of you, and I sincerely appreciate every single one of you. If, if you did not listen to this show and you did not buy a book or subscribe, if you did not support Ground Zero, we would not be here. And you've allowed me to do this not only for over a decade, but we've gotten to the point where I don't even have to work an outside job to support this because the monetized ads from the free archive or the stuff that you guys buy keeps us on air. And it's not a lot, but it has allowed us to be more successful in 2022 than we have been any other year. And that really is all just because of you. You might not think your contribution makes much of a difference, but it absolutely does. And it will continue to make a difference into 2023. Oh, and by the way, I don't know if you caught it, but when I read that quote from Aaron Rodgers, I just thought this was an interesting synchronicity. He said that the hat man, which he still experiences, appears to him with the corpses of a dead rabbit. And he said that back in August of this year. 2023 is the year of the rabbit. And the rabbit is a creature that is famous for its promiscuity, but it's also famous for its refusal and reluctance to engage in, well, everything from what we would call debating and discussion to more harsher kinds of conflict. The rabbit just wants to be left alone. It wants to feel pleasure and it wants to go and hide. And what else could better describe goblin mode than, than the rabbit in the year of the rabbit. And perhaps in 2023, we'll see rabbit mode. It's just sex, 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 pleasure, 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 I don't want to think of anything bad. Just plug me into the system. I don't care if this meat, this steak is fake. I just want to be famous. I want to enjoy the taste. Put me back to sleep. I suggest you do the opposite, though. You cleanse your house. You cleanse your mind. You cleanse your body. Don't try diets. Don't try, quote, exercise. Make it a part of your lifestyle. Otherwise, it won't stick at all. If you want to actually perform some kind of like smudging ritual or ceremony. If you have any questions about incense and whatnot, you can email me at rdgable at yahoo.com, tscradio at protonmail.com. 
Stay safe, stay informed, stay healthy. And as always, we will talk to you on the next broadcast, which will be in 2023. Goodbye, 2022. Hello, 2023. We will see you in the new year. Hi, my name is Marlena Seven Bremner. I'm the author of Hermetic Philosophy and Creative Alchemy, and you are listening to The Secret Teachings with Ryan Gable. Do all the exploring you want, you're not all the drilling of the earth you want. You're not going to find hell. You can take spaceships. Uh, you're not going to find heaven. They're not physical places. What happened before the Big Bang? The Church, of course, saw scientists as a great threat.